church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you this week. Well, this week I thought we would discuss the gospel from the fourth Sunday in the season of Lent, which we just experienced. That intimate story of God's mercy. That's the story of the prodigal son, Jesus speaking to us about how God forgives his wayward children. And I think that's something we can all relate to, right? I know. I can personally relate to that. I've shared that very story so many times, whether on this show or elsewhere, when I'm speaking. Because we can all relate to how we have taken what God has given us, squandered it, and then when we come back, God is right there willing to forgive us. And so I thought we would discuss that. The parable of the prodigal son, and maybe some of its deeper meaning and fulfillment, and and sort of share some of that as well. And also, I have a little treat for you. But before we begin, let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, all glory and gracious honor be to you, Almighty God. You alone are worthy of praise. You alone are worthy of honor. And we come before you as your humble children, begging you for mercy, seeking your grace and your consolation. We pray. We pray that you will send forth your Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to guide us in this conversation, to show us the way to your loving heart, the mercy that dwells within, anxious and willing to pour itself out upon your wayward children, 
guide us home. And thank you. Thank you for your beloved son who came and died for us on the cross, shed his blood and his tears and his sweat that we might know your mercy reunited in your divine love. And we beg your grace and we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, by the light of the Holy Spirit, did instruct the hearts of the faithful. Grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in His consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, today I thought I would share with you from a world-renowned biblical scholar, Dr. Scott Hahn, and his weekly Breaking the Bread segment where he reflects on the readings from the previous Sunday. So this week I'm going to be sharing with you his reflection on the readings from the fourth Sunday of the season of Lent, particularly on the reading of the parable of the prodigal son. So I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll open your eyes and he'll do a better job than I've ever done. So without further ado, let me introduce to you the breaking of the bread from Dr. Scott Hahn and the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. Enjoy. In this Sunday's readings, we discover the riches of God's mercy. We move from the Old Testament to the New, from the Exodus to the parable of the prodigal son. The scriptures are calling us to live a deeper Lent. Find out more next on Breaking the Bread. In this Sunday's first reading, God forgives the reproach of the generations who grumbled against him after the Exodus. On the very threshold of the promised land, Israel can with a clean heart celebrate the Passover, the feast of God's firstborn son being delivered. Reconciliation is also at the heart of the story Jesus tells in the gospel. The story of the prodigal son is the story of Israel and of the whole human race, but it's also the story of every believer, of you and me. In baptism, we're given a divine birthright, made a new creation, a beloved child of God as our Father, just as St. Paul puts it in the epistle this Sunday. But when we sin, we're like the prodigal son, leaving our Father's house, squandering our inheritance in trying to live without him. Lost in sin, we cut ourselves off from the grace of divine sonship that was lavished upon us in baptism. But it's still possible for us to come to our senses like that son who made his way back to the Father. But only He can remove the reproach. Only God as our Father can restore the grace of divine sonship that we have spurned. Only He can free us from the slavery to sin that causes us, like the prodigal, to see God not as our Father, but as our slave master, one we only serve as slaves. God wants sons and daughters, not slaves. Like the Father in the Gospel, He longs to call each of us my son, to share His life with us, to tell us, Everything I have is yours. The Father's words of longing and compassion still come to us, his prodigal children, through the sacrament of penance. This is part of what St. Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation entrusted by Jesus to the apostles and to the whole church. Reconciled like Israel, we take our place at the table of the Eucharist, the homecoming banquet the Father calls for his lost sons and daughters. The new Passover we celebrate on this side of heaven. We taste the goodness of the Lord as we sing in this Sunday's psalm, rejoicing that we who were dead are now found to be alive again in Christ. This is Scott Hahn 
for Breaking the Bread. Breaking the Bread is a production of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. If you'd like to receive written copies of Dr. Hahn's reflections on the Sunday Mass readings, you can contact us by email at staff at salvationhistory.com or call us at 740-264-9535. That's 740-264-9535. Are you in need of rescuing? Do you need conversion? You know, that intro song that started us off today, that was You Rescued Me by Sue Peters. You can find out more about her and a link to her site, as well as the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology at my site at www.catholichack.com. But I was in need of rescuing. I was in desperate need of conversion. Back in April of 2002, I was at my lowest point. Lost my job was about to lose my marriage. Everything that I had in my my life that meant something was gone, basically. And so I got on my knees and I turned to that one person who I thought would not be there for me because I was never there for him because I didn't give him the time of day. And he was there and it blew me away. I said, God, I cannot do it. I give it to you. And he did it. In that instant of time, like this, the cliche epiphany of of so many, like St. Paul, who had the scales removed from his eyes, in that instant, I knew things that I didn't know the instant before. You see, I thought how great it would be to just be a slave in the kingdom of the Almighty. It would be better than to not be in his kingdom at all. But instead of being a slave, he made me a son. That's at the heart of the parable of the prodigal son. That's what God, in his mercy and divine love, is trying to to share with us. But there's more going on there than what meets the eye. And I think that's that's part of the challenge we have in reading Scripture. We we tend to think of Scripture as or read it from a 21st century Westerner mindset. It's very literal. There's no deeper layers to us traditionally. We have to get down deep and pull the scripture apart and see its many different levels if we're going to really pull from it. It's it's just exhaustive uh, meaning and context because we could scripture dive all day and never get to the bottom of it. But that's also the beauty of scripture. And this particular one, I think, is really great because it has many different levels. You see, on one level, it speaks to yours and my heart. Because we both understand the necessity of conversion, of rescuing. Because we've all been prodigal sons and daughters. But on another level, there is something much deeper and more fulfilling going on here. And we're going to talk about that next. But let's just briefly go over the story of the prodigal son. We find it in Luke's Gospel, St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, starting around verse 11, down to the end of the chapter in verse 32. But before we read that, let's read the very first few sentences of this chapter, chapter 15 of St. Luke's Gospel. It says, quote, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners, and then eats with them. <laughs> I love that. You know, this man receives sinners, and then eats with them. Notice how important this concept of eating is in their culture. 
to eat with them, to receive with them, to have communion with them, to share a meal. It reminds us of Revelation, to knock the door of our heart. And if we shall open the door from within, he will come in and he will share a meal with us. What is that meal? That meal is Eucharistic. It's the body and blood, the soul and divinity of our Lord, truly present there in the bread and wine, under the the appearance of bread and wine. Jesus shares with him, shares with us, divine life, eternal life, given to us through the hands of the priest who stands in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, giving us true flesh and true drink. That's John chapter 6, that mighty Eucharistic chapter of John's gospel. This is at the heart. It's complete mercy. It's complete love. It's becoming one with our spouse, our bride, which is Christ. We're the bride. He's the bridegroom. But that's our spouse. You know, the one flesh union of man and wife in the covenant relationship of marriage, that is even more true when we receive Christ in the Eucharist, when we say, when he says, this is my body, and we say, amen, and then we receive him like a, like a bride does her husband, and we become one with our Lord. This is what our Lord means when he receives sinners and then eats a meal with them. He wants, to, he wants to point the way to that day when he shall give his flesh for the life of the world, when he shall give his blood for true drink, that they will become one in the sacrament. That's so powerful in my opinion. But you see how the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering, and then it was the Pharisees and the scribes who really had, had trouble with this. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes, they thought, well, we'll stick to the letter of the law. And they rejected all those people who weren't so, you know, rigid, who didn't see things their way or didn't act the way that they did. And so they rejected God's mercy upon them. They rejected God's mercy upon other people. That's where we have to be very careful in our life, isn't it? We have to realize that God has given us a way through his sacraments, through his apostolic ministry and the bishops and his church. He's given us rules to follow, and we must follow them because they have been revealed to us. But there are so many people out there whom that revelation has not come. They have not received such revelation, and God yet still has mercy upon them too. So, on one level, we can see how God's mercy reaches beyond what He established for a church to even those outside of it, who even those who, who maybe even reject it. God's mercy can rest even upon them. God loves whom He chooses to love, and we must not reject God's mercy even upon them and even upon ourselves. And so He's speaking here to the Pharisees while He's loving the sinners, the tax collectors, those most rejected, those most you know, reviled in that first century culture. He's speaking to them when in chapter 15, verse 11, he starts to tell them the story, the parable of the prodigal son. This story of a man who had two sons, a younger and an older son. 
And the younger son goes to his father and says, you know, dad, I'm really kind of fed up with just hanging around here in your ranch and doing all the work. And I really want to go live the good life, the good life over there. You see, the grass is greener always on the other side. And so I want you to give me my inheritance. Oh, yeah, I want you dead now. Now, I don't want to wait until you die naturally. I'd like to see you die right now so I can get my half of the cut and then I can go live the good life. Go live La Vida Loca. <laughs> can you see how insulting that would be for a son to wish his father dead so that he can go live at large? You know, but the father, in his divine mercy and love for his son, even in the face of his son's blatant disrespect, gives him his half of the inheritance. And so the son doesn't hang around very long. It says a few days later, basically, the son collects all his stuff and then heads out for the good life. And then he goes and he squanders it. He wastes the inheritance that his father, no doubt, had to work shedding blood, sweat, and tears to earn so that his sons might have something. And his son squandered this. And then he fell destitute because he was in a far-off country. And then he, he had to go and work for a local gen, a Gentile, a, a pagan, feeding the pagans pigs. Now, to a son of the Most High, to a Jew, this was revile. You know, this was, this was just horrid to have to feed the pigs. You see, a pig was an unclean animal. And it was so deemed that way in Leviticus. And so to, they would never touch a pig, let alone feed the pigs, to tend to the pigs. This was an act of ultimate humiliation. The son was so desperate, he had nothing. He knew he had squandered his father's inheritance, blowing it away on the, on the, the fast and easy life. What, what seemed so pleasurable to him at the time, now in reality, is ultimate disgrace and humiliation. You see, our senses deceive us. Our emotions will lead us astray if we let them. Our appetites, when it, when it rules over our reason, our will, always leads us in the wrong direction. You know, when you eat too much because the food tastes so good, you get fat. But when you reason over appetite, you say, this food is good. However, eating too much will cause me to gain weight and to be out of shape and to be unhealthy. And I might die early or there might be all kinds of medical complications as a result to it. Therefore, I will not eat so much. It's about, as we said last week, even putting our reason above our will, our, our will above our appetites. Rather, we must put our appetites under the control of our intellect, our reason, our willpower. And so the son is out there feeding the pigs, and he looks at how well the pigs even eat. You see, there was a famine in that land. And he goes, man, I would love to just eat what these pigs are eating. The, the pods that they're feeding on would nourish me at this point. I'm so hungry. I'm so humiliated. I'm so just destitute. And then he starts to think back on the good old days of, of living at his father's place, thinking about how, how well even the slaves lived there. They didn't go hungry. They didn't have to feed the pigs and squander and, and just, just constantly you know, live in humiliation. And he starts to think, well, maybe, just maybe, I can go back to my father. 
And maybe I can throw myself upon the mercy of my father and beg to be a slave in his and his property. And, you know, and I will at least live better than I'm living now. And he, so he starts to, to go back to his father's land. You, he, again, he was in a far off land and he goes back to his father's land and he's thinking the whole way. Okay. All right. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to see my father. I'm going to throw myself at his feet and I'm going to beg him. I'm going to beg him, please, father, please. I, I can't even call you father. I am so low. I am so low that I can't even call you father. I will call you master. Please, dear master, let me be a slave on your property. Let me be a slave that I might live better than I'm living now. And you see, the father, the father longed for his son. The father didn't want to see his son go away. The father didn't want to have to give over his inheritance and see him squander it. The father knew that he would make all the wrong choices. But the father didn't stop him. The father knew the son needed to learn this lesson for himself the hard way. If he wouldn't listen to reason, then he would have to experience it like the way of the cross. It ain't easy. And so the father was looking for his son, secretly desiring his son to come back. Not even secretly, actually. He stood there on the porch, always looking out for his son, wanting his son to come back. And then all of a sudden the day came. He saw his son on the road, heading back. And he runs out to meet him. And the, and the son sees the father and, and starts to, okay, this is the time. This is it. I'm going to start to throw myself at my father's feet and beg his mercy. But the father catches him and throws himself on his son's neck. Now this, this is a little, this is a, a link to the Old Testament. The throwing of himself onto his son's neck. Kissing his, kissing his son and embracing him. This reminds us of how, you know, Esau received his brother. Jacob, which was then Israel, when after Israel came back to Esau, after having gotten married again, twice actually, Jacob was pretty nervous, thinking, oh man, my brother Esau is really mad. I stole our father's inheritance. I stole our father's blessing away from Esau. Esau was the firstborn, and Jacob was the younger. But instead, Esau threw himself on his brother, kissing on his neck. Like Joseph in Egypt, after he tricked his brothers because Joseph was sold into slavery and eventually became the second person in command in the kingdom of Egypt, wearing the signet ring of his, of his pharaoh, the king, wearing his robes and riding in his royal chariot. And his brothers who came to buy grain were thrown into jail because Jacob or Joseph was trying to fool them and to test them to see if their hearts had been changed. And eventually he reveals himself to them. And then what's happened? He throws himself on their neck. This is a, a beautiful sign of intimacy, of mercy, of forgiveness, of just of embracing each other. And so the father embraces his son, throwing himself on the neck and then says, you know, instead of making him a slave in his in his house, because that's what the son thought he could expect slavery. No, the father doesn't make him a slave. The father says, bring out the robe, put on a ring, put on shoes on his my son's feet and then kill the fattened calf for my son was lost and now he's found. My son was dead. And now he's alive, and we shall rejoice, for my son is home. 
You see, the slaves were barefoot in those days. And so the father wasn't going to allow his son to be a slave. Instead, he restores him to full dignity and clothes him and gives him the implements of the son. The son now has shoes on his feet. He is clothed with the father's robe and he wears the ring, the identity of the father. And they throw a feast there for the son. And then the older son, who never left, who never accepted the inheritance of his father, never wished for his father to die, was there the whole time, working away as he always did, comes back to the house and sees what? A party going on. <laughs> there in the house, they're, they're having a good old time. And he's pretty miffed about this. Whoa, 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 what's this? Excuse me? Hello? I've been working tirelessly. I never complain. I never put up any grief. I didn't ask you to die and give me your money so I can go blow it on some far-off land like you, this little boy did, your son. Hello? You don't give me a fattened calf. I don't get to go hang out with my buddies, throwing a, uh, you know, killing a calf and having a good old time. And here you are doing it with this kid? The father comes out because the son, older son refuses to go in. The father comes out and says... Son, your brother was dead, and now he is alive. He was lost, and now he's found. He says, My son, you were always with me. What is mine has always been yours. We must show mercy and love to the son of your to the son of mine, to this brother of yours, because he's home. We must now rejoice. We must see this through the Father's eyes of love and mercy, kindness, embracing his son. And there's a, a paragraph in the Catechism, Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's paragraph 1439. It's very beautiful. It says, quote, The process of conversion and repentance was described by Jesus in the parable of the prodigal son, the center of which is the merciful father, the fascination of illusory freedom, the abandonment of the father's house, the extreme misery in which the son finds himself after squandering his fortune, his deep humiliation at finding himself obliged to feed swine, and still worse, at wanting to feed on the husks the pigs ate, his reflection on all he has lost, his repentance and decision to declare himself guilty before his father, the journey back, the father's generous welcome, the father's joy, all these are characteristic of the process of conversion. The beautiful robe, the ring, and the festive banquet are symbols of that new life, pure, worthy, and joyful, of anyone who returns to God and to the bosom of his family, which is the church. Only the heart of Christ, who knows the depths of his Father's love, could reveal to us the abyss of his mercy in so simple and beautiful a way. That, that is, isn't that just a, an excellent description of the mercy of God? It's this process. It's a process. It's inheritance. We all have an inheritance in our Father. We each take from our Father what He's originally given us. And the question is, do we squander it or not? Most of us squander it. We go through the cycle where we take what we were given and we squander it on, on the worldly desires which are fleeting and pass. 
And then we reached that low point where for me it was where I was completely absorbed in, in, in sexual license and pornography. And I allowed it to destroy my marriage and to destroy my life and, and everything else. And then I turned to my father, thinking I would be a slave. Instead, he restores me through absolution. You see, I heard the voice of God in the confessional. I absolve you. That priest who stands there in the person of Christ, in persona Christi, this man who has been called out by God, lends his body, his faculties to God so that you and I can hear God's voice because we need to know for sure, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that God forgives us, that He embraces us as sons and daughters, and that He absolves us, taking our sins away from us. And then He gives us penance. He gives us the means by which to restore ourselves in the sonship and daughtership of God by doing penance. Through the confessional, he restores us like the father putting robes on his, on his son. Also like God the Father in Genesis chapter 3, who after hearing the confession of Adam and Eve and giving out their penance, he also restores their dignity by bringing them skins, by animal skins to cover their body, removing their shame and restoring their dignity as sons and daughters of the Most High. That is what God does for us in the act of confession and penance and reconciliation. It is beauty. This is the mercy of God in the story, the, the parable of the prodigal son in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Well, that's going to be it for this week. Next week, we'll talk about um, the Samaritans and how that ties into this parable. And then we'll get into the woman at the well. So stick around. Well, until next time, I'm praying for you, so please pray for me. Stop by the website, www.catholichack.com. God bless. From the Catholic Underground. <laughs>